Hi, this is Lou Stanfield, and you're listening to Rugger Matrix USA. And Mike Tolkien, happy to be on the show. Great to have you, gentlemen. This is episode three of Rugger Matrix USA, The Way Forward. Today, we discuss the mix of sevens and 15-man rugby and the way forward to the World Cup and the Olympics. It's a bit longer today, a full hour of action with Lou and Mike and, of course, Bruce McLean. This is Rugger Matrix USA, brought to you by the USA Sevens, Feb 13-14 in Vegas. Yes, hello and welcome to episode three of Rugger Matrix USA. Uh, We are starting to make some inroads. Good evening to you, Bruce McLean from New York City. Yeah, New York City, just like I pictured it. Skyscrapers and everything. (laughs) Beautiful here, beautiful here these days. It was an ice storm yesterday, and today was 50 degrees. I love it. Um, Um, How are you, mate? How are you? Good? I'm good. I'm really excited for today's show. Great guests. Well, let's bring them right into the panel straight away. Lou Stanfield and, of course, Mike Tolkien, both uh, well-known in the USA rugby scene. First to you, Lou. Good evening to you. Good evening to you, Joe. How are you? Really, really good. Great to speak to you. And uh, Mike, welcome to Rugger Matrix USA. Good to have you on. Joe, good to be on the show. Thanks now, for having me. Now, Mike, uh, you, you deal with uh, Bruce a lot, so commiserations about that. But, yeah, uh, thanks. Uh, my soul brother. Uh, it's always interesting to be talking to Brucey, no doubt about it. Uh, our, our time together has been long, interesting, but very fruitful, very productive, and, and still we... Uh, we always love talking rugby, even 20 years later. <laughs> Bruce, well, before I go back to uh, Lou, let's uh, quickly um, build up the CV of these two guys because uh, in terms of American rugby, uh, they're, they're, couple, they're a couple of the best. Yeah, it's, it's really difficult to find people who, have, who, who are better rugby people. Uh, essentially, Mike Tolkien with Tony Smith founded the United States under-19s program in the early 90s. Uh, Mike was the coach of the New York Athletic Club. He was the captain of Xavier High School for the 1985 National Championship. He played ERU with the collegiates. He was the defense coach for the Eagles. Few people know that he was an academic All-American at St. John's soccer. St. John's recently won a uh, an NCAA National Championship. Um, and he, I've I've known Mike for 28 years, and I'm happy to be involved with Mike and. And no, now, again, he's a USA defense coach. And, and as far as I know, he's my favorite person in the world to work with. Louis Stanfill played rugby at Cal Berkeley. Nothing better than that. He played rugby at Jesuit High School. The only thing better than that is playing at Xavier. And, and he, is a, 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 he is an eagle with, what do you have, 16 or 18 caps there, Louis? I think, yeah, I think that you have 18 caps, but you have 16 as a starter. And, you know... Scored three tries for the Eagles, two in the World Cup, and one in the World Cup qualifier just recently. Plays for the Athletic Club as at the moment, although he is exploring the possibilities of professional rugby. So if any of you people out there have an opportunity for Big Lou to go play overseas, he'd love to hear from you. And um, love your heads up, Bruce. I think they're pretty excited. So yeah, well, I'm happy. I'm I'm real psyched to have them on and have them talk about their careers and about everything. Tell us a couple of funny stories. Yeah, look forward to that. But let's firstly cover off Bruce at the weekend. Uh, our special guest last week, of course, the American Eagles captain uh, Todd Clever. We got him uh, as a scoop on the way to South Africa for the uh, international sevens. And uh, you know they were always up against it after a massive amount of injuries in Dubai. What did you think about the effort in the end? 
the effort is always the, the the effort's always good. The fact is that the results weren't there, and and as I said last week, you got to look at our sevens program as a body of work. It's not something that's going to happen straight away. We don't have the players aren't aren't started out going in the sevens. They're not exclusive sevens players. So I always look at the first couple tournaments as a wash. I think they're finding their feet. I think that we start to once they go into New Zealand and once they go into San Diego, then we start to say, hey, where are they? And then judge them based on those on on that criteria. I'm not going to judge right now. I'm happy. You know, I mean, they're playing. They're finding their feet. The next few tournaments, when it comes into February, then 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 I think it's it's fair to judge. And I think might you know probably be interesting to hear what Mike thinks. Yeah, Mike, what do you think about uh, the progress so far? Obviously, Dubai was tough, uh, but uh, you know, are we just waiting for uh, Vegas for them to come good? Well, I'm sure Vegas, uh, the crowd would certainly love them to be good. And um, you know what? I know it's tough for Coach Caravelli now because he's got so many injuries and you know, losing his captain and, and, and some of the real effective players. And, you know, he would never use that as an excuse, but uh, always tough. And just when they're starting to make progress and get some young new youngsters aboard and really mesh, they get hit with injuries. And, uh, you know, it's the nature of the game, but I'm sure he's disappointed not to get full throttle. And you know what? This was a, this was a tough, uh, tough weekend. They started out, you know, they, they started out on fire and then lost a disappointing one to Russia. So, you know, right now we're looking for consistency and performance, you know, and, you know, win the big one, but then win the one that you're supposed to win. And Coach Caravelli alluded to that. And uh, I think they have some tremendous athletes out there. And, you know, uh, you have Nick Edwards, a newcomer who, who's just been dazzling. He's up top 10 or 12 in scoring in the whole tournament. And when they get swearing back. So they, they you know, they have some bright, bright stars. And hopefully everything comes together in Vegas. Lou, how how important would it be uh, for the for the USA to 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 put in a sterling performance come uh, Vegas in February? Uh, I mean, I, I don't really play seven, so uh, no, no, yeah. I so, but, but for American rugby, how how important? Yeah, is for it? American yeah. rugby, it's very important for the uh, for, for that performance to be good. Uh, you know, uh, increases the uh, the likelihood of more money coming into USA rugby, but uh, you know. Uh, the sevens guys do their job and do their part, and I think it's important that uh, they get that job done, you know, peak at the right time. Uh, over the years, certain countries have developed a completely two different timelines in terms of player development. And uh, we, saw, we spoke to Todd Clever last week about how sevens was as important to his game, but, Lou, you don't see it the same way for yourself. Uh, well, you know, it's not that, uh, that I don't think sevens is uh, not important for any player in general. It's just I've never been invited to a any USA sevens camps or, uh, really have been, uh, involved. So, uh, for me, sevens is just something that's out there and just hasn't been explored yet. Should it be, can it be uh, part of the 15 man game? Because a lot of, uh, the professional well, programs, um, don't like it. They say once they go and play sevens, they come back and, and the guys are a basket case. <laughs> well, uh, I haven't heard any of those uh, those comments, but uh, but yeah, it can be very beneficial for a 15s game. I mean, I look at Todd Clever. I mean, the the player he is, the way he is today, is uh, I feel has a great amount to do with sevens. You know, he does a lot of uh, a, a lot of uh, small moves on the field that uh, you know, as a 15s player, I haven't developed. But I'm sure if I got into sevens or if I ever got you know fit enough or light enough to do that, then uh, 
my, my, my game would expand. Mike, as a coach, um, how do you, you mix up the two disciplines? Because they do require uh, physically different uh, efforts on the field. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think different mindsets too. Um, in this country right now, you know, we're, we're dependent on each other. We have the same, pretty much the same pool of players and, uh, you know, we coexist uh, with each other. And uh, that, that'll, be, that'll be the fact for quite some time. Uh, when I say quite some time, I don't know if that's two years, five years, but that's the fact of the matter that in this country, whereas in uh, the top playing countries, um, you know, there's a, there's a division, there's strictly a sevens for the most part and a 15s program. And really, it's because the time spent, you can't divide it. In this country, our, uh, our sevens and 15s spend a uh, little time together, relatively speaking. So the players can go back and forth and we can kind of work out. You know, there's always going to be a little overlap and some, you know, a little tension here and there. Nothing serious, but of course. But uh, as we go down the road and, and our both programs develop, uh, I can see how there there's going to be decisions having to be made, whether the 15s game or 7s game. But 7s certainly brings fitness, skill level, um, individual performance, I think mental toughness. So certainly very big benefits to bring to 15s players. Bruce, this is an interesting time for American rugby then because uh, with 7s getting the impetus from the Olympics, you know, some decisions have to be made. I, I foresee, I foresee specialization. I don't think that we're going to be able to compete on an Olympic level if we don't have specialization. I foresee that sevens is going to be the area where we try to get crossover athletes into the game. By crossover athletes, I mean people who played football, gridiron, basketball, um, or, or were track athletes. I, I think that that's essentially where, what that sevens team is going to become. People like Leonard Peters, and I, I've been reading that there are other players from uh, Division I college football programs and Division I college basketball programs and Division I college track programs that are interested in playing. And I think that there's going to be a level of specialization into the sevens game and that rugby 15s play. There's going to be some crossover, as, as Mike was alluding to, but I think it's going to get less and less as the time goes on. Right now, we have no choice. But I think as time goes on, it's going to be less and less. Because if we are going to compete and try to medal, we're going to need people who are specialized in the sport. Mike, is there a risk of losing players to the Eagles then that uh, might be important to satisfy this drive towards Olympic glory? Yeah, uh, no doubt about it. Um, you know, there's uh, the, Olympic, the Olympic aspect is a draw that... American rugby is going to use, and I think high school programs, everyone's going to use to get mainstream, you know, to athletic uh, departments, et cetera. And I think that certainly, you know, there's going to become a time where, you know, there's going to be players going strictly into sevens. And it could be very soon. You know, it could be, like I said, a little bit down the road, but certainly there's a risk, uh, you know, if you, want to, if you want to call it a risk, but there's definitely going to be uh, players who are going to go right into sevens and stay there. So it, it's a, it'll be an interesting time in the next few years. Some decisions that have to be made. Well, Lou, let's talk about your World Cup experience. And, uh, you know, 2011's coming up for America, and they've got one hell of a pool. But uh, there's plenty of excitement building uh, across the world as teams uh, focus and build their programs towards uh, New Zealand. Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, the the preparation for 2007 was uh, I had about two years to do it as I came onto the team in 2005. 
uh, I feel, you know, 2011 could be a, a major step in improvement for my own game and uh, for the USA. I think it's time that we uh, that we won a game in, in, in the World Cup like we did in 2003, and if not two games, you know, and that's completely doable. And, uh, you know, uh, not to say that uh, with the success Sevens has had, you know, becoming inducted as an Olympic sport, uh, won't at all help us as a 15s uh, union, but I think uh, I think it will help to bring a little bit of attention, and hopefully it'll help to uh, uh, bring enough funds that allow our players to uh, to uh, get a bit more time together prior to that World Cup, like we did in 2007. Louis, when you were, how was your experience at Jesuit High School, Cal Berkeley, and the AC, and then and and actually. What, what you were doing with Alec Parker and John Vandergeesen. Talk us through some of that and how you think that might have made you a better player prepping for the 2011 World Cup and made you better now. <laughs> well, uh, starting with high school, um, you know, like you said, so, uh, with the Jesuit, Jesuit's a well-established uh, rugby school, uh, currently by far the most popular sport at Jesuit. They get well over 200 or close to 200 people uh, coming out each season. Uh, and fantastic coaching with uh, John Shorey, uh, Fred Kasijian, um, Tom Janis, and you know uh, more coaches that I can even count right now. And uh, I think that prepped me very, very well going into Cal. And, you know, Cal uh, – rugby's business there you know that's that, that that's what we're there for that and academics academics first obviously but uh uh having clark uh, as head coach helping to bring me up as a rugby player and then tom billups who uh, was the usa coach at the time i certainly had uh, uh a, a, a better start to uh to any international player and in, you know domestically as a USA rugby player, I was given all the tools to, to help be the best player I can be. You know, everything was right there in front of me. And then after leaving college, NIAC, a fantastic program, you know, great club. Uh, you know, I got both coaches on the line right now, so I'm not going to badmouth them, but not that I could. Everything at NIAC is fantastic. We have a fantastic program. And uh, uh, coming up in the 2011 World Cup, uh, it's kind of make or break for myself. You know, I'm, uh, I'll still be young, but as a domestic player and not playing professionally, I got to find a job and a way to support myself. But until then, it's going to be uh, – I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use all those experiences, I guess, and, uh, and every resource I have to become the best player I can. Lou, how have you survived over the years playing the game you love? But as you said, you've still got to survive off the field. Um. Well, uh, in college, that was a bit easier because, you know, well, I guess easier then, but not easier later as I'll have student loans to pay off. <laughs> but uh, uh, right now, as a as a person in the real world, it's, it's, it's a bit hard. I mean, I'm certainly not a wealthy individual, but going to New York and uh, a great club like that helps to uh, put you on the forefoot in the big city. And uh, they got me a job and place to live and pretty much took care of me. But uh Outside of that, when I come home, uh, I got to find a play, place to live and pay rent and uh, get a temporary job until I, I make my next move. Louie, how important was your family, your brother Jake, your mom and dad? And, and then, again, talk us through 
your when when you decided to go up to Aspen to work out with John Vandergeesen and uh and and Alec Parker and just talk us through some of that and how that's helped your preparation going into Uruguay and and again your family on your life and your rugby life. Uh well, you know, neither one of my parents obviously played rugby and my dad was really upset when he found out I, I wanted to make the transition cuz we had spent so much time and effort and money on uh, on baseball, and I just wasn't that good of a baseball player as everyone else was catching up to me and size-wise, and they started moving the bases out further. So uh, I slowly became a terrible baseball, baseball player. But uh, uh, once my dad saw one game of rugby, he was very supportive of my decision. And uh, as, a, as a, a sport he never played, uh, his... Uh, his comments are, 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 are worthwhile, but, you know, obviously it's not the same as when he was uh, criticizing me in baseball. I got a little bit of a leg up since I know partially what I'm doing and he knows nothing at all. But uh, my brother has been my best critic. He uh, Every game he watches, and uh, to be honest, for my rugby growth, I think he has put, played a very integral part of, uh, of, of really looking at some of the maybe not glaring uh, deficiencies I have in my game, but the more subtle and important things, he, he's the type of person that will look me straight in the eye, point it out, and can call me out on it. And it's, uh, it's, it's very good for me. Um, working up to the two th- or the, uh, the qualifiers in uh, this past uh, month, uh, you know, I was, I was uh, with, held with a decision that, to go up to Aspen and to live with Alec Parker and train with he and John Vandergeesen and, uh, pretty much it's not an opportunity you can pass up. Uh, you know, it makes it a bit easier to get elevation to become a bit fitter. And uh, they gave me all the uh, resources to be, uh, to work my, myself into the, into the ground to be the best player I could. And, uh, you know, Parker and I got a lot done. John Vandergeesen obviously got that contract uh, about four weeks into me being there. So, uh, you know, he's achieving the dream. But Parker and I got a whole lot of work done and, you know, he provided me with a job and a place to live as well. So as long as people are doing that for me, I guess I can't feel too sorry for myself. And what about the camaraderie, uh, Lou, uh, and the feeling of the game? Is it still fun for you to play or is you, you look at it like a job? Oh, no, no. The game game's always going to be fun to play no matter what level it's at. Uh, but uh, one of the more fun uh, times I had uh, was playing in the Aspen Rugger Fest. That was, uh, that, that was a whole lot of fun. You know, I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't remember last time I was on the field and literally for 80 minutes had a smile on my face. International is fun, obviously, because you're playing top-level rugby, but uh, uh, the look on your face isn't exactly smiling because, well, <laughs> you feel like hell through the whole game. But what else is new? <laughs> Louie, talk us through a typical day when you you and Alec and Van de were working. Um, Alec Parker is a, is a 50-cap 50-plus cap player for the United States, who's the elder statesman of the, of the team, and 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 John Vandergeesen is has now really established himself as a almost an automatic choice at second row, who was just signed at Albi in the French top 14. Just in case people didn't know, a typical day would start with getting up probably around 4:30 and uh, getting to the gym uh, before five. That way, you know, we can get all, every, is, everything is that, we is needed. That, is, is that PM or AM? It's AM. <laughs> yeah, because if it was Angelo Malifa and you, it would have been PM. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe for Jello, it would have been PM. You know me, Bruce. I'm bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. 
<laughs> anyway, so we'd go work out for an hour and a half about whatever program we were on. And then uh, we'd get home uh, 6.45. Uh, we'd, we'd get Alex's son up and get breakfast going and get him ready for school. And then uh, one of us would drive him to school while the other one started working on the ranch. And then uh, the day probably went from, I mean, you know, it starts at 4.30 and we were in bed by 9. And then you know, we'd work the entire day through. One of us would have to go pick the kid up, work a little more. And then uh, towards the end of the, uh, the, the end of my stay there, working up to the uh, – to the qualifier, we do. We were doing double days, so we'd work out in the morning. Then we'd we'd do running in the afternoon. But uh, but yeah, there were there were long days. But you know, it's a it's a different life. I was working on a ranch and 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 living in the outdoors. So it was a it was a real interesting experience. Well, someone else who um, went to the states to uh, improve his fitness was Ali Williams, uh, who's uh, obviously one of the best locks that have played the game for New Zealand. Uh, had an injury, was in probably the best form before that injury for a long time. But he went to America, and uh, he's now on the road to full fitness. He's looking to get back into the New Zealand World World Cup squad. But, gents, uh, just bear with me. I'm going to play a little segment from the Rugger Matrix International show. And I quickly asked him about rugby in America, and uh, this is what he had to say. America's not huge on its rugby, but it is, and it will, it will become... Um, I I believe a, a dominant force in world rugby in years to come if if they can get things right and uh, it comes like a lot of things it comes down to money but I'm sure over time they'll get that sorted but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed being over there a lot of different types of people uh, it's just outside what I'm used to in, in New Zealand Auckland and, and obviously the southern hemisphere it's, uh, it was magic and very refreshing, but I am very keen to uh, start playing again. There he is, uh, Ali Williams, who uh, had some pretty positive things to say about uh, American rugby. And uh, Bruce, you you spent a bit of time with him, and uh, you know if Ali thinks there's uh, there's some positives there, there must be. Yeah, well, there's definitely positives here. Uh, we we have good people. We have an an, an really an irrationally. It, we we have an irrational passion for the game. If you've seen some of the some of the things that we have to do in order to make this work, I, and you know what, it, talking to me about it is, is futile. You may as well we may as well ask Mike. Mike Mike started the USA on the 19s program, and and Mike really has he he's been working for 25 years at at Xavier High School, and so he's been through the mill of the top part of the game the grassroots of the game, and the top club game with DAC. So I, I think that Mike's, Mike's perspective is probably a bit better than mine. You get to hear mine every week. <laughs> well, uh, we, we, we do always have to hear from you, though, Bruce. But, uh, yeah, Mike, uh, where are we at at the moment? A couple of years out from the World Cup. Uh, qualification is in the bag. Where, where is uh, USA Rugby and its, its drive to, as Lou says, uh, break through for the next one? I think certainly uh, getting getting more and more players at experienced clubs is big. Um, getting overseas and playing some of the, you know, we we have probably about half our squad, maybe a tad under, playing overseas. That's important that they're playing top flight rugby and training as professionals. Uh, I've made, you know, I've made the comparison many times, you know, 20 or so years ago when the U.S. soccer team was able to get uh, very basic uh, professional contracts, maybe thirty or forty thousand dollars a year, um, 
and they get about you know 30 of them or so and at that point things turned around and they were able to train as professionals then they were getting overseas contracts and now the world cup team you know they have players playing in the premier league they have playing in italy they're playing all over and we're starting to get that and that's big now it's not the be all and end all and that's something that we have to understand because there are players who might be playing in a setup where it might be Division Three or Division Two, that's not professional. Uh, they're getting given a line. They don't have the weightlifting facilities, the fitness facilities that we have in the states at some setups, and even the quality of play. You know, Super League. You know, I know to some it's not uh, it's not the best they've seen, and there's a lot of complaints about it. But it also provides some quality. It is up there in terms of if you compare it to second division in some of the uh, premier competitions local, like say Sydney or something like that, you know, it's up to that standard. And there is some, there are some positives, right? But I think, you know, going into World Cup, some of the things we need guys to be able to perform, assemble when they need and perform as, as professional athletes in terms of their training. And that's big. And we're getting more and more of that. Lou, what do you think about uh, Super League? Is it the platform that can en- enable you to produce that, that upset in 2011? Uh, you know, I'm sure hoping so. Uh, playing the Super League one year, uh, I, I found that the competition uh, from coming from Berkeley is obviously better. You know, at Cal, we were playing against other college teams, and it was almost unfair probably about 95% of the games just because we were – that much better coached and that much better drilled and conditioned. And we had all, everything handed to us. Like I said, we had uh, weightlifting facilities, uh, practice f- uh, four, five times a week, four times a week, uh, watch video review. You know, the, these types of things were offered or were, uh, given to us at the university. Outside that, uh, with the Super League rugby, uh, things aren't that, uh, aren't that easy. But uh, I think... Um, well, at least I hope for the upcoming two years, things do start improving. I know that two teams or three teams just dropped out for sure from the Super League, and um, I'm hoping there can be something we can do to uh, to to fix that and to and to help bring other teams into the competition. You know, uh, other Division One teams are good enough to be there. Uh, apparently, it's just a matter of funds, but it shouldn't be a matter of money if the teams are good enough to play. So. Uh, my feeling is that the best team should be involved and there, there needs to be a way to get those teams involved. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I think you might be a little bit mistaken there, Louis. Everybody's been invited and, 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 and Super League, the, the monetary layout for Super League and D1 are, are very similar. The fact of the matter is we don't need to sugarcoat it. The Super League is not, is not good enough to propel us to be at the level of countries that have a professional rugby set up within their nation. Also, it is not good enough to propel us to be as good as nations like Argentina and and we can be better than Romania, but I'm saying Romania or, or countries like that where their players are able to play overseas easily without having to uh, without having to jump through the immigration hoops that Americans have to jump through. The fact of the matter is, as Mike said, we either have to have something professional or, like Eddie O'Sullivan said in his recent interview, we have to have an opportunity for our players to play overseas, very similar to the Argentinians. So, yes, the Super League is good, and in America, it's the best we have. 
and it would ideally we would have the best college programs and everything in it, but that's you know that's unrealistic. The but the fact is it's not good enough, and and I could be wrong, and then Mike and Louie will correct me if I am. I, I think that if we're going to compete and try to win two games in the World Cup, meaning we're going to have to beat either Italy, Ireland, or Australia, I think that we're going to have to have most of our players playing in professional setups, or we're going to have to have some kind of a, a contracted contracted players in the United States. But even then, I would have them contracted and playing overseas anyway. I don't know what what Mike and Louie think or what you think, Juro. Juro, you'd be interested. Well, I wanted to ask Lou specifically about one of your guys, the captain. You know, Todd Clever playing for the Lions in Johannesburg. Do you get the feeling of him bringing back something extra, uh, Lou, to the system after that experience? Well, certainly. He's a... Uh... He's always been an explosive player, but when you start playing, you know, uh, 13, 14, 15 weeks at a time, playing top-level rugby, you're going to come back with uh, a whole new uh, bag of tricks. And he didn't upset. You know, he came back. He also came back heavier than he has in, in the past. So uh, whatever, whatever it is that that professional lifestyle he, that he's doing to uh, take advantage of, he's doing a fantastic job. And, you know, if we can get more guys playing overseas just like him, uh, you know, who knows what we could look like. Well, he, they eat a lot of meat in South Africa, Lou. So yeah, they do. <laughs> that, that's that's one of the secrets. Well, Mike, what do you think? I mean, is that the way to go? Yeah, I think if we can, uh, certainly that's the way to go. Uh, if we can get the more players we can get in a professional environment, whether it be contracted through USA Rugby, which right now, given the economic climate and our difficulty in getting sponsorship, uh doesn't seem like a reality in this uh, in the short term, but if we can get guys overseas uh, playing ball, that's that's definitely the way to go. I mean, play like to play at the level that we need to in the World Cup, it's going to be a huge addition for us to get our guys in a professional environment. Can I just add something here about the domestic competition? Because I know in Australia, the argument about the domestic competition is still going on, and the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence. Australia looks at uh, South Africa and it looks at New Zealand to see what they've got with the MPC and Curry Cups. But Australia's produced two World Cup winning teams without a, a massive internal competition in the past and have relied on a very strong core, good players, not a big uh, amount of depth there, but the players they've had, they've relied on and been smart about it. And, and I think this is where uh, a lot of countries may get unstuck and Bruce, uh, you've seen in the past, you've talked with Ewan McKenzie about how Australia was a smart team using its small resources, but very effectively. So the domestic competition can be supplemented by, say, clinical and efficient ways of, of using your talent. Well, Ewan actually has spoken to, to me about that, saying that we do have the resources here to make things a bit better here. And combining it with the Argentinian model of of getting our players playing overseas in in a setup, and also then you look at what Simon Hardy said, playing to our cultural strengths and having a game plan that revolves around strengths at set piece, but you know strengths in the contact area, not being overly fancy, playing in their end, you know, not making mistakes, just things like that that. You know, little little tiny things where we get 
or defense right or or, or scrum right or line out or kickoff or kick returns and you know we pressure we counter pressure with pressure we pressure the opposition basics we're patient that we keep possession we have confidence in our ability that we play the proper tactics depending on the weather that we don't make the same mistake twice that we train as we do in football where we train you know train like you play you know we we understand time management that we understand critical situations like when we need a 100% call or we're down to 14 men, we keep our self-control. And the, the fact that, you know, we have our – we understand opportunities when you have maybe the fullbacks in the ruck or there's an injured player, there's a profit scrum half or they're down to 14 men and really taking advantage of those situations. Things that we can be good at like Argentina is good at. Argentina came third in the World Cup and not a lot of people would have picked that. Actually, I did, but, um, <laughs> but that's – not a lot of people would have picked that. And you know, I, I think that we can be good, but I do think that it's going to require moving outside uh, for, for the most part, trying to get our players playing in a professional environment. We're not going to be able to have our players playing in a club competition over here. We may be able to pay them to be in a daily training environment and have them train together and build their skills. But the fact is playing rugby professionally uh, for profit is going to be difficult over here. Well, I, don't think, I, I, think, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, look, uh, I think a few people would have picked Argentina because the World Cup is tailor-made for a team like them. They are perfect, a perfect model to win a World Cup because once you get to, through the, uh, eliminate, to the elimination round, well, if you can kick and scrum, <laughs> then you're a good chance. But uh, yeah, Lou but and when, Ma- they, when, they, when they went to the semifinal, they forgot who they were. And, they, and when they played South Africa... They tried to turn into Fiji yes, instead right. of Stick, playing like Argentina. And, and this was a subject of our in-depth analysis on Rugged Matrix International a couple of weeks ago, which was stick to your knitting. And uh, as soon as you go out of that realm, you get uh, sucked into the opposition, playing Fiji, all of a sudden you're a prop and you try and play like a uh, flying Noah Andruku, then you're going to come unstuck. And that's, that's a challenge, I guess, for the US down the track. So uh, Lou and, and Mike, quick question about defence, and obviously it's your specialty, Mike. Is that one area where you can set a, a platform for possible victory uh, when you come up to the World Cup? No doubt. Um, I think any smart team management recognizes the fact that defense wins games and wins tournaments and wins championships. And uh, certainly it's a cliche, but it's, it's a truism that good teams recognize. And, uh, you know, Eddie, when he first took over and we first met and he made that a priority and we spend the most time on defense and, uh, you know, we came in, we, we talked about a system Eddie told me things he wanted to do and we discussed defense and, uh, you know, in, in full credit to him, he allowed me to do the things that I needed to do to implement the system that he discussed and we talked about and, uh, defense is critical. And, uh, and that is somewhere we have the athleticism, we have the strength, we're good in contact. A lot of our guys are experienced in that. And I think that's a great platform for us. And we've worked hard. The guys responded well. I was really proud of the, the Uruguay performance in both games. Um, they, we didn't let up a try at all in terms of uh, an attacking try. And uh, the guys played solid. They really picked up from what we did in the summer, even after three months' absence. And I, I was proud of their commitment and uh, their, their, the knowledge that they retained in the system. And I, without question, that is a cornerstone of our team and what, where we're going to try to be a strength. Mike, uh, a lot of 
a lot of defense. I, 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 I attribute our 2008 national championship to the work you did on defense in the last four weeks after basically we did the exact same thing. But when you went and, and met with John Muggleton and, 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 and watched John Muggleton work with the Eagles, you came back essentially doing the same things with a different kind of twist to it. And I think that that in and of itself took us and, and helped us to win a national championship. Uh, you have a lot of defensive goals for the individuals and the team. And talk us through some of them and, and how you've progressed in meeting them and not meeting them and where you want to be in the future in, in terms of that. Well, I mean, the first, in the summer, we met for seven weeks. And basically what we did is establish, a, we put in a system, a very basic system uh, of our defensive philosophy. And um, as we went along each game, we had targets, as every team does, you know, certain percentage of tackles made certain uh, level of missed tackles accepted, uh, systems breakdowns and things like that. And those are some of the top ones. And um, when we met back in Uruguay, we had a very short time to practice defense, short time to practice in general in between traveling and the games. And uh, what we did was just take what we did in the summer and uh, make sure that we were on key with that. We weren't going to get beat up the middle. If they were going to beat us, they were going to earn it through phases or through the more risky uh, challenge of going wide. And we really wanted to shut them down, frustrate them. And that's what our guys did. They were physical. They got, you know, before the game line, you know, all the fundamentals of defense. And uh, the guys did that well. And those, those are the, the targets that we, we look for. You know, we look for a certain percentage of tackles. I know two weeks ago, Simon talked about those things um, with the England team, the World Cup winning team. And those are the same things that we have, you know, and, we really try to build up, well, certainly in, in my aspect, I try to build up a pride of our defense, really taking a pride in our tackling, our defense, not letting the guys through the guts. And uh, the guys have responded well. They like playing defense, and they've done a great job of picking up the system. Lou, uh, defense is also about um, attitude. And uh, do you think that the team's attitude is, is tuned to a, a strong defensive display? Yeah, yeah. Uh... Over the years playing for the Eagles, you know, this is the most uh, the most time we've spent focusing on on defense systematically. But uh, you know, in a long time or since I've been around, I feel this is the uh, uh, the team that does have the most attitude on on defense. We we want to attack or we're on the other side of the ball. And uh, honestly, I feel that this team has that attitude, and we have that mindset of uh, going forward, whether we have the ball or uh, you know our opponents do. All right, gentlemen, uh, we've got a bit of surprise here, Bruce. Um, someone's just dialed in from Brisbane, Australia. None other than the 1991 World Cup winning coach, Bob Dwyer, who's got a special deal for our Rugger Matrix USA listeners. And, uh, Bob, th thanks for jo joining us, and welcome to Rugger Matrix USA. Uh, pleasure, guys. It's uh, nice to be uh, Rugger Matrix USA. It's a, it's a big step forward, and... Uh... USA Rugby's uh, doing plenty, so uh, nice to have Rugger Matrix over there as well. Well, of course, we've got Bruce McLean, uh, we've got uh, Lou Stanfill, and uh, Mike Tolkien joining us on today's program, Bob. So uh, we'll come to you in a moment, but uh, Bruce, this is a, a great honour to have Bob jump on board as well and give us a bit of a deal. Yeah, Bob's going Bob's gonna to jump on board and give us his, uh, his manual, and he's going to give... American rugby people an opportunity 
to share in the expertise that is Bob Dwyer from the 1991 World Cup winning Wallabies, the Leicester Tigers, and all over the world, Bob Dwyer is the desired speaker, coach, mentor, and I think that Bob also has opportunities for people to come overseas with teams and players to work within his uh, system and also he will be willing to come overseas to the United States to work with your teams, your unions and your syst- and put in systems for you guys to help you develop rugby the Australian way, the winning way, the Bob Dwyer way. The running rugby way. So Bob, uh, on the international program we've got uh, a special discount for BobDwyerRugby.com and I think it's quite uh, important that we extend that to uh, the USA listeners as well. So, Bob, uh, what uh, are you planning for our uh, listeners in the United States? So what we're planning is, is to offer uh, Rugger Matrix USA listeners a 20% discount on uh, everything online. Uh, so there's the manual, um, there's associate membership, uh, which is bargain rates, uh, $35 per annum associate membership, less 20%. Um, and then people can sample uh, the site there if they if they wish, and um, if they like the idea, then move on to the manual. Alternatively, and we've got had quite a few sales with the manual in in the USA already, twenty um, percent discount on that. So so it's a good deal. Um, we're really confident that the manual uh, will work for you. It's very very easy to use, and well, obviously I think it it works. Otherwise uh, otherwise I wouldn't have written it. <laughs> well, if Bruce can use it, uh, anyone can, I have to say there, Bob. But uh, just briefly, while I've got you on the phone, um, United States Rugby World Cup qualification in 2011, what do you think? Well, I think, uh, am I right in saying the USA has qualified for every World Cup finals? We did not qualify in 1995. Okay. We did not go to South in Africa. In 95, you missed out. Yep. So, yep. Um, so that's not too bad, all, all bar one. I think I think what should be important to all rugby players in the USA is what Todd Clever's been able to achieve in South Africa and in the Super 14 competition. I mean, Todd Todd walked in there unannounced to a lot of people in the rugby world who who didn't who weren't following US rugby, um, and I have to say that he lost absolutely nothing in comparison with any other player in the in the uh, in the Super 14. He had some parts of his his game were were stronger. Than other players, some parts uh, were not as strong, but but that's normal for all players. But certainly, Todd made an impact uh, in every game. He, his physical commitment was 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 quite outstanding. Um, his understanding of the game was was, as I say, second to none. So so that just speaks volumes for what's happening in in USA rugby. And I think that the more that sort of thing happens, it's a bit like uh, Australian football, um, soccer football. The more of our players that play in Europe, the, the, the more our game gains. And I think the same for USA. The more USA players can play in, in those top uh, provincial teams, wherever, and then come back to the USA and, and, uh, and take that back, then I think, that's going to, I think that's going to be important. It won't be long, obviously, because that, uh, before that's entirely unnecessary and, and USA rugby will stand totally on its own two feet. I hope that's not being condescending. But I, but I think that Todd's, uh, Todd's performance just will show every rugby player in the USA, OK, we're right up there with, with the very best of the best. 
you've hit the nail right on the head and that's a continuation of a theme that we've been speaking to the rest of the uh, panel on the show. So, Bob, uh, thanks very much for joining us quickly on short notice and, and thanks very much for giving us the uh, discount code. So if you go to bobdwyrugby.com, enter the code USA on your checkout uh, coupon, then you will get a 20% discount on the associate membership. So, Bob, that's a great deal. Thanks for joining us, mate, and you have a Merry Christmas. Well, thanks a lot, guys. Same to you and uh, good rugby, guys. There he is, gentlemen. Bob Dwyer joining us on the line, on the line from uh, Brisbane in Australia, and a special deal. And uh, if you had a, haven't had a chance, Bruce, uh, some of those they're very, very basic. But gee, there's a lot of sense still in what Bob has to say. Well, um, Mike Tolkien preaches that fundamentals, fitness wins rugby games and i i believe that wholeheartedly and i and i and i think that's that's good and i and i and i think we ought to get back to defense there juro because i think we have an opportunity let's we we have mike on the line we want to talk about defense you know we've talked about the enthusiasm and the goals and all that kind of stuff let's just talk about the nuts and bolts of it how do you work within the, how do you work within with the other coaches like, say, Dave Hodges in terms of line out or Bill LeClaire in terms of scrum, which way you want the way you want the scrums to turn, having a double tail gunner with, with, in terms of Dave Hodges, working with the kick and chase game, working with, you know, uh, understanding how you got to protect the inside shoulder. That's always something you're big on and and your jockey defense and your six on threes. And just talk us through some of the things that you do with the team to make them better defenders. And, and, and I think that just really just let, just have at it. Well, in terms of uh, starting with set piece, what I'll do is I'll meet with each of the, uh, the specialty coaches. Me and Bill LeClaire, the scrum coach, we'll meet and we'll talk about situations, say, you know, five meters from the sideline, where, do you, where would you like our, our scrum to wheel? What are your expectations? We'll have a meeting with that. I'll have a meeting with Dave Hodges in terms of, listen, this is the line out. Dave has his men in who he wants to defend. We'll have our tail gunners out. Uh, we'll talk about our first two tail gunners, but if the ball gets thrown to the back of the line and one gets tied up, who's the open? So we'll just go over the little things about whose responsibility and what our, uh, what our goals are in terms of what the, where the pressure is coming from. So we get that sorted out. And then for each game, we might have a different wrinkle in terms of, hey, listen, we're playing uh, Georgia, who's going to kick a lot more, or we're playing uh, Uruguay, is going to kick a lot more. Uh, or this week, we're playing the Saxons or Wales. They're going to be running. Uh, Ireland was bringing in a winger right off the back of the lineup. So there's always a little wrinkle for each, each uh, game plan. So we talk through those in terms of set piece, and uh, we get that squared away, and they'll go their units, and, and they'll, they'll handle that. Uh, in terms of uh, open field play, what we'll do is obviously a segment of time in practice. And the biggest thing that I was trying to do during the summer and coming back in the fall, working on line speed and uh, recognizing when our different line speeds, you know, when we could be quicker, when we could put more pressure, when we had to hold back and jockey across the field. So really something we tried to build into the system last year and get into the guys was when recognizing line speed and how to play defense off different scenarios turnover ball versus overlap versus when we had superior numbers and coming back the guys really got that into the system and as any coach knows especially working on the staff 
you know, Eddie's been great about giving defensive time, but there's only so much time you can give. So there's always a jockey for a couple extra minutes here and there. And, uh, you know, sometimes we'll go to Dave Williams and say, Dave, in, in the warm-up, can you do a little bit of uh, jockeying? You know, can we do some track work on, on defensive tech, you know, technique? And so, you know, we get some in and everyone does a little bit of jockeying for time. But, you know, overall, the priorities are set. This is what we need to do on Wednesday. This is what we need to do on Thursday. So uh, that's pretty much how it all works out. Lou, when it comes to the defence, um, do you think about it often or just you leave it to the defence coach to come and say, this is what's going to happen and do it? Lou sleeps. Well, huh. <laughs> uh, well, you know, uh, as a blindside flanker, loose forward, I feel uh, uh, you know, defence has got to be a staple in my game. So, of course, it's something that I think about. But uh, as far as for... Uh, for our team to be as uh, cohesive as we need to be defensively. Uh, yeah. You do need a coach like Mike to come in and say, this is what we're trying to do. And this is how we're going to achieve it because then it gets everyone on the same page. Being able to work within those systems uh, provides uh, uh, or at least uh, eliminates a lot of the, uh, a, a lot of mistakes that you can make because if everyone knows what, what we're trying to do and how we're going to do it, then, then we're allowed to uh, to show up at that tackle contest going almost full speed and being able to put a harder hit in. So, uh, yes, I think about defense. I got to think about it all the time because I've got slow feet and I got to move my feet. So those are things I think about. But as far as, uh, you know, systematically what we're going to do, I yeah, it's great having a, having a guy like uh, Mike to come by to come on, on staff and, uh, and really give us a, a boost there. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you feel like you've got the freedom to put a smoking hit on and not cop the wrath of the defence coach afterwards? Uh, yeah, now, nowadays, because we have these systems, uh, you know, if we come in and we give a smoking hit, it, you know, one of two things but ought to happen. Either you do it within the system, then everything's okay. Or if you break the system, you better crush the guy and you better get a turnover because if, if neither one of those things happen, then well, you pretty much gonna, you should be benched. What's your philosophy on that, Mike? Because I've seen blokes drop before because of their uh, eagerness to come out of the line. And uh, I think of one uh, classic example was actually Australia v England in Melbourne. Uh, Nathan Gray rushed out of, of the line, cost a try, and uh, he wasn't around the next week. Yep. It's, uh, you know, there's a fine line between the rogue defender who, who's just going to come out and do his own thing versus the guy who has a well-timed uh, spot tackle. And I, basically what I tell the guys is this. It's like, a, uh, it's like a quick tap from five meters out. You take it, you better get in. Hmm. And you know what? The guy, from what we've done, the guys have really developed the sense of, hey, I know when it's on, we, we've used film and we've given the scenarios where, hey, this is a good time to come out of the line and make a tackle. What are the, what are the possible uh, detractions from this? What are the possible ramifications? If you, if you come out, you know, what can he do? So I think we've laid it out pretty well. You know, when's a good time to do it? You can do it, but you do have to make that hit. And if you don't or if something happens where you come out and we pay for it, then just be ready to pay the consequences, you know, whether it's just a little bollocking, uh, in the film session or maybe something more severe, that's fine. But they they do have the liberty, you know, when they see it. And I, I think we've tried to lay it out when are good times to do it. 
Mike, two quick things. Um, yeah. You talked a lot. You talked a lot about line speed before, and I mm-hmm. was I was wondering if you could just tell people when it would be a slow line speed, a medium line speed, and really fly up and smash people. Secondly, it's, it's a two prong question. Is some of the some of the times, like say a prop at scrum half, or you know, we could talk, you know, the, the lock at, at at first receiver. Times when you can really blast out of the line and make a play. And as Simon Hardy said to, uh, I don't know if he said it on the show, but he says uh, essentially, yes, you can go out of the line, and it, if you don't make the play, we have a selection issue. If you make the play, then we're cool with it. <laughs> you know, yeah. kind of like in high school. No, Timmy. No. <laughs> yes, Timmy. Yeah. Great play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, line speed's all about recognizing the scenario in front of you. You know, if you're, if you're screwed, you're not going to go rushing up and give them and make it even easier for them. When you're screwed, you have to buy time. And if you have some real estate behind you, there's no problem with letting up a few yards. If you can get your, your, your defensive line back intact, the whole idea is to, to make sure that you're able to get back to full strength before the real damage is done. So line speed really has to do with what's in front of you and and how much the threat how bad the threat is slow line speed you're outnumbered uh, uh, an aggressive line speed you're outnumbering them you're even numbers things like that when you when you have the advantage uh, the wallabies during this autumn tour were very good in their ca- in identifying and counterattacking at the rucks they really were were aggressive in doing that and you know that's a risky proposition. You know, if you if you don't get that ball and you commit all those guys, obviously, you know you're looking at overloads. But they were good at identifying it. And counter rucking is going to become you know something that's that's big when we have some time leading up to the World Cup now. You know, it's something that we concentrated on in the summer. Didn't have as much time now, but we're certainly going to address a lot during these next uh, year and a half, eighteen months. But uh, that's about line speed. And the other thing, you know, like you said, what Simon said. You come out of the line for a big hit, hey, you know, you can really be exposed. So you, you really got to make sure it's the right scenario and you got to make sure you make the tackle. You're taking a chance and you got you to gotta make that chance pay off. Well, Mike, I hope you watched the video and showed it to the Eagles uh, at the end of that game, Australia v. Ireland, where Quade Cooper rushed out of line and, uh, and, and allowed Brian O'Driscoll to waltz, waltz through a massive hole and right the draw, post, draw yeah. the match. I mean, that, that that's not... He was five metres out from his own line. It could not be a better example. Yep. We were actually, we were in Uruguay at the time, and uh, it was uh, either after practice or a day off, and the game was on live, and most of the guys were watching it. So it was it was a prime example. I mean, uh, last play of the game, and, you know, it should didn't have to end that way, but because of that uh, that indiscretion, it did. And that was a, that was a great example, Euro. Fantastic. Well, uh, Bruce, uh, we could go on all night, but uh, we do have to bring the show like to, to an ask, end. I'd like to ask one. I'd like to ask one. Um, Come on, mate. Make it quick. One. One question of of Mike, and and now you pinged me, and I and I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> you got to hold it together, uh, Bruce. Right. You got to hold well, it you together. You know what, Mike? Mike, one of the, yeah. You know what I did want to ask is when 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 you're doing your six on three stuff. And and then you whack a team to the sideline, and when you get to the sideline, how you can how you can readjust your numbers and then smash them back in the midfield. Uh, you you know what I'm saying? Like you go yeah. and you smash, you, you drag them to the sideline, and then we hammer defense them off of that. Talk talk people through that so that they can see that hey, 
you could take a take a take a take a 15 yard loss, and then as long as you could reset, you could smack them and get that 15 yards back. And it's just well, kind of talking through that, and then we're good to go. Yeah, I mean, generally, you know, you're in phase play, and and you're outnumbered there, and you have a little real estate behind you, and it's a, it's important to remember. Hey, listen, you fly up, and you can give them a big gain. You can give them a try. You can give them a 50 yard line break, or we can really push them and paddle them across and we can sacrifice 10, 15, even 20 if you have to, uh, and, and just hold them, hold the line and then use that. Once they're tackled at or around the sideline, use that time to regroup, get your boys to just slot back into the middle of the field, get your full line together. And then at that point, that's when you can start changing your line speed and become aggressive. So the whole thing is, you know, holding the line until you're at full numbers and you have the, all the troops on board and then you make it happen. So it's, it really is something about recognizing, you know, hey, let's not let this whole thing fall apart here. Let's gain our composure, let a little up, and then we'll take it to them. That's a good point. Good question in the end. In fact, Les Kiss, defense coach from Ireland, always says that you shouldn't be able to uh, bleed to death off, off one defensive lapse. If you've got a good system, you will recover. So it looks like uh, the Eagles are in a good, safe hands in that regard. Now, gentlemen, is a wise man. He is a very wise man. Just ask him. So, and, a good, uh, <laughs> and a good man. And a, and a good man. He gets to New York whenever he can, which is uh, whenever he's he... coming to New York. On he's coming for Christmas. Oh, he'll be in, he'll be in New York for Christmas. He's going to go to Tolkien's house. I hear it's going to be. Uh, a... <laughs> Bruce is going to take all of his uh, defensive secrets for the World Cup. <laughs> Just give him a couple of uh, Guinnesses, and uh, you'll have you'll have them out of him by New Year's. Yeah. Uh, he's well... staying at the AC. He'll be all right. He'll live. <laughs> uh, Mike Tolkien and uh, Lou Stanfield, it's been fantastic to have you on the show. Uh, Lou, what's uh, what's your plan over the next few days, next few weeks? Uh, next few weeks, I uh, have to uh, try and find maybe a temporary job so I can get it, uh, up my funds a little bit. But uh, I'll be in contact with uh, with uh, with Mike and Bruce and talking about uh, what the, their plans are next season and. Uh, my potential return to New York, which seems very likely. Uh, love the place, love the club, love the city. And uh, if they'll have me back, uh, I know that uh, that is at the top of my list. But uh, other than that, I should probably get on the horn and see if anyone wants to give me a contract. But I won't hold my breath on that one. Well, if there's, there's any sugar daddies out there, give us drop us a line and we'll pass them on to you. We'll, we'll sort you out. Yeah. Anyone here listening and needs a back rower, let me know. <laughs> there he is, uh, Lou. Uh, just stay with... Outside of... of the United States! <laughs> Outside. Um, well, it'd be nice to see you playing for that new Melbourne team. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? That would be nice. Um, and I think they can have up to about eight foreign players. So the door is certainly ajar there. And uh, there's certainly a theme coming out about this uh, as a potential development. Uh, Mike and Lou, don't forget uh, that uh, this show brought to you by the USA Sevens. And Bruce, we say it every week, you've got to get there. It's Vegas. You've got to be there. It's definitely Vegas, and it's going <laughs> to be so exciting. God, you got, I mean, Vegas. It, I, it, I, I haven't been there in 20 years. I can't wait to go. I was invited <laughs> I to go. Oh yeah, uh, I bet. Yeah. I, think that's, right. I think that's what they call you. you were banned from Vegas twenty years ago. 
So you have to be banned well, to be banned from Vegas. Bruce, what did you do? <laughs> oh, I didn't get banned. Yeah, whatever. You know what? I am gonna say I, I am gonna I am gonna say something really nice about uh about Louis here. Louis came Louis came to the New York Athletic Club and when when I say he Mike and I were talking we were talking to a South African guy and we're sitting there and we're like, you know what? Let's just call Lou Stanfield. We didn't even know him. We just knew we played against him, and we wanted two guys from the team, the, the Cal Berkeley team, the BTAC. We wanted him, and we wanted Andrew Lindsay. We got them. They played together, and I'll tell you, from the day that Louis showed up, I mean the day he showed up, literally he was practicing. He showed up at the airport, came in. He was practicing a day later, and he was flying. 100% effort. From the minute he arrived till the minute he went to Eagle Camp to play in the Churchill Cup, the, I will say no holds barred. I absolutely loved every single minute of coaching you, Louie. I absolutely respected you 100% of the way. I have never seen anybody give as much as you did every single day. Yes, did we butt heads, but that didn't bother me because I respected the fact that you wanted to be the best and you wanted our team to be the best. But I got to say, I enjoyed every single minute of being at practice. I enjoyed the car rides there. I enjoyed the car rides home. And I got to say, <laughs> yeah. it was it was really, really good stuff. And and, and obviously, I, I could talk to Mike about rugby until we're blue in the face, Juro. And, and <clears throat> you know, having Mike on the show is, is always the most exciting thing. And, and, and I don't think we did – his knowledge of the game justice today, but that's that's my fault. Uh, well, well, was... Bruce, there's not enough bandwidth in the world to, to cater for that conversation, so I'm glad we could <laughs> cut it short a bit, but it would be a, a good one to listen to. Uh, gentlemen, thanks very much for joining us for Episode 3 of Rugger Matrix USA, really starting to take off. A uh, couple of more members to the Facebook pl- page. Bruce, uh, you need to give me some more photos um, you know, well, I can't even show my kids the ones you sent through. So please try and get something better through to me in the next couple of weeks. I look like Jabba the Hutt. I, you know what we really need? We need we need pictures of Mike. We need pictures of Lou. And anybody who has pictures of cool Eagle stuff or cool USA stuff, send it through to us, and we'll try to get it on the fan page. And join our fan page at Facebook, and we'll try to actually – Get it so that you could search our fan page. Right now, you can go to me, my 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 homepage, and ask me, and I'll try to get you to it. All right, there it is. All right, uh, Lou and uh, Mike, thanks very much for joining us. Uh, you have a very very merry Christmas, the pair of you, and good luck for the 2010. Thank you, Euro. Same to you. Thank you very much, Euro. There he is, uh, Lou, joining us, and and Mike as well, and Bruce. Thanks very much. Uh, looking forward to next week's show as well. That's an action-packed one, but uh, lots happening on Rugged Matrix USA. we got to tell everybody what we're going to have next week. We're having Eddie O'Sullivan next week. That's right, the, the big, big dog. The big will be there. The big dog. The big dog will be there. The big kahuna. The, you name it. The chief. Yep, looking forward to it. Thanks, Juro. Have a nice week, buddy. And don't forget that special deal from BobDwyerRugby.com. When you buy your associate membership, check out USA in the coupon code, and you will get 20% off. We'll speak to you all next week.